0: Into episode 230 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on. The growing KSR podcast network sources say is as always presented by our good friends at justice dental visit one of their two lexington locations that's on blazer parkway and wellington way by scheduling an appointment online at justicedental.com or by calling 859-543-0700 you can even send a text message to one of their friendly team members at the same number to ask a question, to make, or make an appointment. Now is a great time to schedule your dental cleaning. Dr. Thompson, Dr. Justice, and their team strive to provide you with good oral health in a comfortable environment. The Justice Dental team looks forward to seeing you soon. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by my guy, KSR's own, Zach Gagan. Zach, I appreciate you. Well, you didn't really have a choice. I, I, I'm telling you that you are going to be doing this show with me, but I appreciate that you are on with me uh, nonetheless. Yes, forced against my will here up in Springfield, Massachusetts. Should we have made the
1: bed first? Is that going to be a bad, a poor look? It, it It is what it is. It,
0: they, they're going to be grateful that we've we It's a hotel. I, I never make my bed at a hotel. Yeah. It will. It is what it is. Uh, here to celebrate an absolutely unbelievable must-win situation for the Kentucky Wildcats, a victory over the win. terrible, terrible, disgusting, no good. Tennessee Volunteers, sixty-three fifty-six down in Knoxville. Zach, we are not, we're not down in Knoxville. We uh, are up here at the Hoop Hall Classic in Springfield, Massachusetts, seeing some future Wildcats get after it. Uh, we'll talk about that here in just a little bit, but uh, can't go a second further before we discuss uh, the, the the reason why our listeners are here, A, a not beat down, but a much-needed victory down in Knoxville. Yeah, uh,
1: feel-good win all around, uh, all the post-game Shower or water dumps, and the Chin Coleman crying on the bench with Tyler Ullis and Lance Ware talking his, uh, you know, talk stuff, his talk, talk talking his, his talk. stuff uh, the whole time. It was just a great win all around. Uh, Kentucky's offense was not that great, but the defense was probably the best they've played all season long. Uh, they completely dominated a Tennessee team that was one of the best rebounders in the country. They stood no chance there. Uh, they hit no threes. Essentially, Kentucky made it a point to. You know, nip that in the bud and make sure that that wasn't going to be an issue and Kentucky I don't, I don't believe Stephen can tell me if I'm wrong but I don't believe there was many UK fans that even made it in and uh, still all those uh, the Kentucky players still found a way to come out at the end there despite that horrid 8-0 start that honestly made me think that this was going to be a 40-point beatdown so massive massive credit to all the players there uh, coach Cal and the staff for somehow pulling out that win and we'll see if it was the season changing win but you know At this point in time, it sure was.
0: Yeah, you know, we're still in wait-and-see mode, and it's fair to be, uh, you know, not ready to just go all in with this team. Cautiously optimistic. Considering where things have been, it's totally fair to say, great, step in the right direction. We're glad uh, it it unfolded the way it did, but it's also okay to still be like, all right, well, it's not perfect. You know, still don't have your starting point guard. We'll talk about that and the impact that that made. But... uh, all in all, a lot to be excited about, a lot to hang on to. It was a step in the right direction for a change after a Tuesday night in Rupp Arena that I'll remember for a very long time, unfortunately, because it was the most embarrassing loss that I can remember uh, in quite some time. Just uh, unacceptable loss against South Carolina for them to turn it around against a team like Tennessee, uh, ranked number five overall. Um number one by a a, a long shot uh, uh, in terms of defensive efficiency, I think holding uh, opposing teams to 20% from two um easily far and away number one in college basketball. So to get a team like that at, at, at you know considered a, a national title contender to get them on their home f- home floor on Chris lofton night they have Candace Parker there, uh, Allen Houston there honoring all of these, these brought the football these, coach out too. These Tennessee legends, and the Tennessee football coach Uh, to do that on their home floor. uh, Unbelievable win. Very excited for it. Uh, I want to talk about what you kind of mentioned, just kind of the game plan that Kentucky put together, because we talked to Bruiser Flint on Friday and he talked about what the Kentucky game plan was because everybody focuses on the defense and how they only allow, you know, I think, Four, three teams going into this game had scored at least sixty points on on the balls, Kentucky being the fourth, um, you know that's what they're known for. You, you just don't score a ton of points against them. And I know that's kind of a, a point of conversation going into it. Just how is Kentucky going to score points? And Bruiser Flint was very uh, on, you know, just very honest and was like, "That's not our focus right now. Our focus is on making sure that we attack them on the glass and win that rebounding battle, uh, while while also holding them." Uh, from three that that in their best performances and and when they have lost at their best, they have made a ton of threes and have been really efficient from deep and at their worst, they've missed a ton of threes. So those have been the, the, were the two main points of emphasis going into the game, score points, however you can focus on the offense, you know, as is, but make sure that you win those two things. Uh, And for all the criticism that they got this week about how these coaches don't game plan and don't scout and all that stuff. It was very refreshing uh, to see, the game plan go exactly as planned and, and work out as successfully as it did Zach.
1: Yeah. And the, and the additional part of that is like over a third of Kentucky's points came from the free throw line. Uh, so that's kind of, those are the three things there. You know, they stopped Tennessee from hitting threes. They dominated one of the top five rebounding teams in the entire country. I mean, absolutely dominated. I believe it was 43 to 23. We're looking at the stats yep. here. So all, nearly doubled them up. And then Kentucky goes 22 of 25 from the free throw line, which was, Honestly, in my opinion, that's the most impressive part of that entire game was somehow they managed to, to get to the line so many times and be as efficient as they were. And I think a lot of it just has to do with kind of how slow I thought Tennessee was. Not necessarily with their pace. I thought their pace was a little bit slow, but I just thought their players themselves were just slow and didn't have just – they couldn't keep up with uh, not even necessarily Kentucky's fastest players like Chris Livingston just had – he had a couple of times where he just beat his man off the dribble, got in the middle of the lane and, and went up and, and got some buckets. And obviously Tennessee's bigs aren't very fast either. So I just don't think that Tennessee, it was just not a good matchup for them when we, when I try and look at it right now, like they just, they were just too slow against everyone on Kentucky. And, and especially when Kentucky had those two shooters out there, they just couldn't keep up with them. And, and that just created all these extra open lanes and uh, you know, the ability to get to the free throw line and really attack the rim and, get Tennessee out of position more often than not. And I think that what I just talked about there and then what you talked about, those are the the three or four, I guess, main takeaways from that game is how Kentucky had a game plan and clearly it worked.
0: So speaking of that game plan, uh, they were kind of had to, you know, had to adjust on the fly a little bit with Xavier Wheeler missing with a shoulder injury, uh, something that Kentucky tried to keep under wraps leading up to the game. It was very successful. Uh, everybody was surprised during the pregame warmups when the ESPN showed uh, a Uh an update from him that said, Sabri Wheeler questionable with a shoulder injury. Everybody said, where the hell did that come from? Um, He was later declared out, missed the entire game, and with Kaysen dealing with back spasms. And yes, as we saw, he was dealing with back spasms. Let's not get into our tinfoil hat conspiracy theories. Oh, my God, he quit on his team, you know, Let's stop all that garbage. Um, he clearly was dealing with back spasms, had to come out several times and, and get stretched out, worked out. Had He was seen uh, back in the tunnel working out with Brady Welsh doing like hot yoga or something. It was hilarious. Pushed the camera yeah. away too. That was um, funny. Uh, but so clearly shorthanded. And, and that was definitely a scary sight and thought going into this game. Uh, but Zach, it forced Kentucky to change the way it played. And I thought that was a really interesting thing that, uh, it was definitely not ISO heavy, you know, dribble the air out the ball uh, kind of offense, wait until you g- get late in the shot clock to get things rolling and initiate the offense. Uh, there was almost like this this sense of, okay, we don't have our primary ball handler. We don't have our uh, initiator and playmaker. We got to do the, this stuff on our own and, and kind of adapt in a different way. And it kind of forced them to initiate earlier and – focus more instead of putting the ball on the floor, uh, you know, put a greater emphasis on, on ball movement and moving away and setting, setting screens, floppy, floppy action, running different sets and, uh, you know, coming off screens and, 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 you know, trying to get these open looks uh, putting more shooters on the floor. Antonio and CJ Frederick on the floor together. Uh, Honestly, this is the offense that I think Kentucky fans have been asking to see. Uh, And it's not that Savir Wheeler can't run it. And I'm convinced that actually this is more proof that we need to be running like this and let Savir be the playmaker in this t- style of play where you get things rolling earlier and the ball movement's better and all that. That's what we've been stressing till we're blue in the face for the, for months now. But uh, it was a, a breath of fresh air to see the offense, you know, 63 points, or 63 points, didn't shoot great, but still there's there something to hang on to in that regard that the offense just seemed to work better than we've seen in the past, act.
1: Yeah, I don't think this game was an indictment on Savir because, like you said, like he still only scored 63 points, and really – the. It just the offense. It got a, it was just a little bit better uh, in terms of how it was just flowing, like you said, with the ball move. And I thought that was really what changed things. But my biggest takeaway from Wheeler missing is what it forced Kentucky to do more than anything was or it forced Cal to play Reeves and Frederick at the same time, which, like you said, that's just what everyone's kind of been asking for. The lineup with uh, those two, Wallace, Jacob, and Oscar. Uh, I believe if uh, Sean Vinsel, that is his name, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Uh, he posted something that uh, said that that was they went from 20 possessions with that group to 43 or something, or maybe it was uh, Evan. Uh, I can't remember. Prince, what's how do you say mm-hmm. it? My, uh, my, my, everyone, my I feel like most people probably something. know who we're talking yeah. about. But one of those two noted that that was that that group only had 20 possessions all season long, and then had another 23 in just the game against Tennessee, and that's what we got to see more than anything. Uh, and that group did produce, I believe they played, you know, if they played 23 possessions, that's a good chunk of the game together. Um, and obviously it yielded positive results. There was a stretch where uh, when, Kentucky, when Cal took that lineup out, where they went on scoring droughts, then they came came back in and off, the offense just kind of resurged again. Um, so I think there was definitely something to that. Um, I believe, you know, Tennessee was probably caught a little off guard as well without having Wheeler out there. They probably game planned a little bit for him to be there. So maybe you can chalk up uh, to that as well. Um, but I do think this will ideally this kind of changes how Kentucky just approaches the rest of the season and how they use Wheeler. Um, Cause I still think you need a guy like him out there because he's very, very important on defense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's going to be the spearhead guy there. He still is, you know, he's, he's been doing a lot better on his catch and shoots. Um, he still provides a lot of really valuable things out there. And even over the last few weeks, he has, he's been a very solid player. He hasn't been bad or anything like that. Um, so it's, it's tough to say, you know, if Kentucky is is better or not without Savio Wheeler, I would say the answer is probably no. But ideally, we get to see more games moving forward where Wheeler is not playing 37, 38 minutes, and maybe he gets cut down to 25. I think that might be more of his sweet spot. Uh, I'm not sure. I want to entirely say maybe bring him off the bench, but I think there's definitely moments where you just need Kason and those two shooters out there, just because the offense is just going to flow a lot better. So if they're ever struggling for points, I think that's the offense he, or the the group you need to put in. Um, you know, if the defense well, defense obviously still worked, but I, I genuinely believe that a lot of that was just Tennessee. Just obviously, they missed a lot of shots, twenty for twenty-one from three, but they were just
0: slower than Kentucky, and I think that's what it came down to in that regard. Yeah, uh, and I, it's 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 such a tricky situation because you knew as soon as this game unfolded the way it did that the conspiracy theorists, the the fans, that would be just a, a huge point of of emphasis talking about what. Uh, you know, whether Xavier needed to play and, and how many minutes he needed to play and whether this team was better off without him and those, those type of things And, it, and it, it creates an unfair situation for him because it wasn't his fault that he got hurt. And yes, they did win without him. And, and you know, it creates the hot take thing. But I, I do think there's a middle ground with both of it. Like, I don't think the this is why Xavier Wheeler doesn't need to be playing at all. I, you know, I don't think that's necessary. And I also don't think the and that's just not going to happen either. Yeah. And there's also on the flip side of, uh, you know, Savio needs to be playing as, you know, he's just, just fine. You know, no room for criticism whatsoever. People that are just going to defend him no matter what he does. I don't think that's a realistic thing either. I think there's a happy medium with that where it's, it's okay to acknowledge his flaws and say that this, this isn't where he's, Put in a positive situation and, and and put in positions for success and and, and to thrive, uh, but I while also saying that you know he does have his limitations and. And, you know, he would be better off used in various situations. And I think that's exactly what we got to see. I I hope that Cal saw this game and saw the way the offense ran with everybody kind of working together as a cohesive unit instead of one person initiating things and having everything else go around him. I think that uh, is a pretty fair assessment of how it unfolded and definitely gives Cal something to think about nonetheless. And I think. We, we learned a
1: lot more about Antonio Reeves, and I think we need to just UK needs to find more ways to put the ball in his hands where he can create the offense. Cause I think just him, you know, getting to his spots in the mid range just makes things a lot easier for everyone. Uh, it's just going to open space everywhere across the floor. When even if he's taking those mid range jumpers, you know, from 14, 16, 18 feet uh, he's just bending the defense enough that uh, he's not exactly going, you know, a, a stellar passer, but just him having that threat out there is going to open things up for more for guys like case and, and uh, CJ on the wings there. So I would like, you know, and if you're going to give the ball more to Antonio, it obviously it has to come out of someone else's hands. So I think that's where you start to find that happy medium of maybe taking the ball out of Wheeler's hands a little bit more and then give it to Reese a little bit more as well. Or I don't think I said that wrong, but you all know what I meant there. So give the ball to, to Reese a little bit more and let him create. Cause I think that is, that was kind of what it came down to for Kentucky Reeves. Uh, I don't see what he's uh, had here. Know, looking at our stats, but I believe he had, he might've let the team Jack's pulling it up right now. 18 points. Yeah. Uh, and he only shot four for 10, but he went eight for eight from the free throw line. So uh, he, he finds ways to create offense that uh, Savir Wheeler can't um, even though they're kind of playing different positions out there, but having him find, find ways to create more offense. I think is just, that's a good starting point. And I think, that's definitely something that Kentucky is going to be doing more of moving
0: forward. And you bring up uh, Antonio reusing and C.J. Frederick uh, a little bit earlier, but those two, we've been waiting for them to both step up in big games and make shots. And again, the efficiency wasn't necessarily great for either of them, four, of, four for 11 uh, for C.J., three of nine from three, and then Antonio is four for 10. Uh, oh, from the field and two for six from three. But ten of CJ's points from the first half too. But they were timely mm-hmm. uh, to start the game. Antonio hits the first big shot to break that long drought. Kentucky goes down eight nothing and uh, really desperate for any type of offense whatsoever. And Antonio was the one to break that uh, little mini uh, rut. And then you have CJ go for eight straight points on his end, and he finishes with ten in the first half, and then finishes with thirteen overall. Uh, very timely shots. Uh, and then Antonio Reeves close out the game. I think eight. Uh, 13 in the second half and eight in the, uh, I think eight of the team's last points or whatever it was uh, or eight of 10 or something like that. But, but very, very much came up in the clutch for Kentucky, hit the timely shots, hit the big shots to seal the win. Uh, You needed that. That's that's what we've been waiting for. You need, uh, I really appreciate it. And we talked about this during the game a little bit. I I love seeing CJ miss shots in transition, but almost have heat check moments where like he was jacking up some stuff from 30 feet, you know, 20, 26, 27 feet, Uh, maybe not that far, 25, 24 feet, whatever it is. But, but yeah, he was launching with no regard for humanity. Just like, all right, I'm, I'm getting my shots up and I'm going to, I'm going to feel good about it. And yes, some of them weren't very timely and probably could have, you know, didn't have to take that quick of, of shots and transition, but I like that confidence. We, we need to have him have heat check shots because that means that he had been making shots earlier and, and was feeling himself, getting a little bit confident. Uh, look, he's a career 47% three-point shooter. Antonio Reese is a 40% three-point shooter on the career. You cannot – let those guys just be relegated to the bench and not utilize what they bring to the table. They, they, they are elite at what they do. And you have to play through the misses. You have to play through some of their miscues uh, and utilize them to the best of their their abil- abilities and what they bring to the table. Uh, and that's, that's, as you know, pure shot makers and, and, and scores, uh, especially in Antonio's case as a, as three, a, a three level score, uh, Kentucky has to figure out ways to get them utilized and to have CJ, especially the kind of, cold streak he was before his injury, for him to come back with back-to-back games, uh, I think he had 12 in the last game or whatever it was, and then uh, 13. I mean, you're starting to to piece things together for him, and and that's, uh, man, that's so huge down the stretch when you get Savio Wheeler back and the team gets back to full strength. Uh, I mean, having those two on either side of you, hopefully we see them on the floor together a little bit more, but uh, that's exactly what this team is needing. Yeah. These CJ uh, and Reeves likes to
1: take a, uh, some of those transition threes as well. And I kind of expressed my frustration when we were watching. The game. I was like, you know, I like the transition threes, but we're getting to the point where they're just, none of them are ever falling, but the threat of them does help CJ. Just being out, like the threat of CJ Frederick, taking a three, even though he's, you know, he went three for nine from three in that game, that's like 33%, but they're still going to guard him out there. Like he's a 47% shooter, like you're saying. So if those transition threes really start to fall, I think that's when you're going to start seeing the offense kick in because they shoot probably three or four of those a game, and they maybe make one. So you start having those go in, and things are going to look a lot better. Uh, a
0: guy that really impressed me, uh, Adu Thiero. He comes in. Cal uh, has to get a little wonky with his lineups with with uh, with you know Casen's injury, uh, with the back spasms, and Xavier and being out completely very limited with ball handlers. And, and you kind of had to have a Duke step up and goodness gracious. I love what he brought to the table. Did, you know, didn't score a bucket, but four points, four or four from the free throw line, a uh, couple fouls uh, and, and two turnovers, but he had two steals and he was fighting like hell on defense. And that's exactly what uh, he was supposed to do when he got in here. You know, uh, that's kind of the impact that he was making in the Bahamas earlier on. And it really just brought up the question of why in the world did we not see him against South Carolina when, Uh, You know, that team and just what we saw it on the floor, they weren't fighting, they weren't, you know, diving for loose balls, they weren't, you know, taking gambles in the passing lanes to get steals in hopes of, you know, getting transition opportunities the other direction. Uh, Like, it just didn't feel like that heart was out there. And every time we've ever seen a dude on the floor, Zach, he has shown heart like, yeah, he's going to make mistakes, but he's going to do it at 110 miles an hour. And that's kind of like that kind of the, the basketball shtick and, you know, kind of the, the cliche that if you're going to make mistakes, do it at 110, you know, 10 miles an hour. Like that, he the, did a couple times. It, 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 yeah. And, that, and you, but you want to see that because yeah. that energy, that energy and that effort is, is what sparks other stuff in, in the confidence with other guys that, okay, well, if a do is out here making that play, if he's diving for that loose ball or jumping the passing lane to, you know, create just havoc somewhere on the floor, it, it makes other guys go, okay, well, He's looking good on film right now. He's looking the part of, of somebody that wants to be out here and fight. Am I am I living up to that as well? Can am I being that guy as well? And I, I thought that you know was kind of a contagious thing. I think that's exactly what he brought to the table uh, yesterday. It wasn't you know o- overly pretty in any regard, but I love the way he attacked. I love the way he he drove and and, and finished at the rim. Uh, he got called for a couple fouls and and you know a charge here and there. Like I, I, it wasn't a perfect performance, but that's exactly Uh, what this team needed at this specific time of the year. Uh, And I'm, I'm all for more minutes for a new theorem moving forward. Yeah. He's not
1: a guy that's going to win you a game right now, but he's definitely not going to lose you a game. Uh, He's, he's probably not, I wouldn't say he's good at anything, but he's probably average at everything. Uh, So that, you know, when you can do everything at a decent level, you're going to, you know, help contribute more to a win than you would contribute to a loss. And I think that's what we saw from him yesterday. Uh, I think, what did he have? 13 minutes out there, but you know, 0 for three, but he hit four free throws getting to the line, being aggressive. Um, you know, he's, he's not exactly a floor spacer, but he's fast and quick enough that he can get around his guys. And it kind of goes back to what I've been harping on that. Uh, I just don't think Tennessee was just, they just didn't have the guys to keep up with some of UK's athletes. And when you've got a guy like I do, I do out there, who's, like his sole goal is to just out hustle everybody. Uh, it's going to breed success for him. And um, let's see, Adu was minus one in, in his 13 minutes as well. So if you can get that out of a freshman who's not shooting, uh, you know, not really being a factor on offense, that's that's a
0: good start, I think. Yeah. Uh, Lance Ware gave some hard minutes as sure well. Um, you Getting know, in the face uh, of what's his name? Uh, uh, Euros. Um, you know, I, I appreciated the effort. I, I really, uh, you know, when you need an enforcer, when it's the physicality, that's what something Bruiser Flint said in the game said, look, they have two dudes down low that are as physical and tough and they're going to, you know, try to beat you up they're gonna and pull Oscar down by his jersey. They're going to they throw elbows. They're going to push you to the ground. They're going to, you know, yank and pull and tug. And I mean, that's. That, that's who they are. And, and, you know, whether you consider that dirty, whether, you, you know, however you want to describe it, I thought it was a lot of dirty play, uh, but you have to be able to battle against that. And Lance, Ware is the guy to battle against stuff like that? So uh, I, I thought Lance, you know, two points, one for one shooting, three rebounds, uh, you, you know, didn't do a whole lot. Led the team in high fives. from Exactly. You know, and that's kind of half of it. And like, it's not even
1: a joke. Like he's, especially if you saw the video that Steven posted uh, the other day, or I guess it was uh, yet yeah, last night he posted. It was just it was Lance Ware leading the charge on the bench, like raw rawing the guys. Uh, you know he was like sitting there not watching the shots or the free throws. Kind of at the end there, like he's a guy. Here's a guy. He's <laughs> Lance Ware is a guy. Like, now here's a guy. Now here's Lance Ware is seven minutes is all you need from him because you know in those seven minutes he's gonna go out there and he's gonna push around to their biggest guy out there. And that's exactly what he did because like you said, those two dudes for Tennessee, especially the Euros guy, he was, I mean, there was some, I haven't went back and watched the game, but I would imagine there's going to be a bunch of calls where I'm like, that seems a little ridiculous that it either did get called or didn't get called. Um, and, you know, part of that, well,
0: never mind. You go ahead. Uh, Zach Norton asks Lance versus plastic. Who you got in a bar fight? Lance, I think so.
1: You know, it's kind of funny, you know, we're at Hoop Hall right now, so I guess we'll probably talk about that shortly. But you see, uh, when you watch DJ Wagner out there, who's another Camden boy, just like Lance, DJ does the exact same stuff that Lance does in terms of they're always chirping a little bit. You know, if a guy if an opposing player has the ball in his hand, he's going to poke it out. Just stuff like that. Like, I don't know if that's just what they get taught up there at Camden, but that mentality that they have, like that not back down mentality – I think my favorite part was when the uh, Euros was trying to get in Lance's face a little bit there uh, in the paint. And I believe Lance was saying, you know, what are you going to do? I just looked at him a couple times and Said, what are you going to do what are you going to do any other guy didn't do anything because what are you going to
0: do i like going to fight lance swear i like lance's like kind of psycho stare where he kind of like eyes you down and like claps in your face like i, I oh, he knows what he's doing i I, I think that there's like almost like on, on the fringe of like like that psycho like psycho killer kind of mentality it's like that kevin garnett mentality yeah that kind of like where a, you're like that guy is legitimately crazy and he's so going to kick my should... and he's probably going to kick my butt like i yeah. think that's that's going to happen so yeah i, I about appreciate... we love lance yeah how about lance how about lance
1: he and lance honestly in the he's probably the most genuinely nice guy on the team uh are mm-hmm. being if we're being honest just everyone i think on the team is a nice guy but when you talk to lance in post game press conferences and stuff like that guy's just super down to earth so it's kind of funny to see he's pretty much has an alter ego when he's out there and he knows how to use it and he like he does it on purpose. Like that is not a bit, like it's not a bit. He's doing that because he knows that that's how he can help his team. Because obviously, he's not,
0: you know, the most talented offensive player right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, another player that turned heads, Chris Livingston, uh, finally got to see him play that kind of fourth guard position. I know there's been all the talk about, uh, oh, is he a small ball four? Is he a three? Uh, do we need to have him coming off screens and, and, you know, watching film of Devin Booker like Cal told him to do coming out of high school, which I thought was a huge mistake. Um, you know, we finally got to see him in that role uh, that, that, you know, I think maximizes his ability and, 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 you know, maximizes his production. He finishes with six points, two for five shooting two for two from the line two clutch free throws at, at that time, four rebounds, uh, one turnover, one block, one steal in 18 minutes. So I uh, did a little bit of everything, but I, I thought they used him a little bit better. Uh, I think that, you know, he was put in better spots and, and better positions to succeed. Uh, and I think that's what we need more out of, uh, you know, I, Still, you know, I thought Jacob Toppin played an okay game, especially uh, things outside of scoring. One for five for five points didn't, you know, wasn't super productive in that regard, but still had eight rebounds, five assists, Assists. Uh, yeah. So for I mean, Jacob Toppin has to be a career high. Yeah. he was, you know, he played pretty well outside of that, but Chris Livingston, uh, I still think is is making a very strong statement about his play and, you know, kind of the impact that he should be making when he's out on the floor. I think that there's a spot for him in, in this rotation. And, um, you know, I think he deserves the minutes and, and it's just about figuring out how he's going to be used and what, what positions are, he's going to be most successful at. And I thought uh, we saw a lot of that where he's, you know, he catches the ball on the perimeter and only two dry, you know, two dribbles to the rim. Finish through contact. Like that's when he's at his best. Not when he has to initiate for himself, or you know, when he can get downhill with just a couple of dribbles and, and score. Uh, you know, at the rim with a full head of steam. Like that's when he's at his best. And I think we got to see quite a bit of that uh, yesterday.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. I don't really have
1: anything else to add to that. Honestly, I think you
0: you covered it perfectly there. Uh, going through uh, some of these questions, John P Ryan, is it still too early for a player? Leaving slash staying predictions: Reeves, Frederick, Collins, is. Livingston. Yeah, I think it is uh, too early. Uh, I know going into the year, it's kind of adjusted a little bit with Antonio Reeves, and I was just talking to you know a, a national guy yesterday about this, just kind of what the what the plan is moving forward because there's still some talk that uh, Kentucky could add you know even even more pieces through the transfer portal or you know that it's not just going to be this five man freshman class for this next season uh that they could you know kind of loosely planning on adding seven scholarship players Ooh, that also means that you have to have some pretty significant yeah, turnover so wh- what what does that mean what does that entail uh Antonio Reeves, I think came in initially with a two year plan I think he thought he was a little bit ahead of schedule once he went through preseason you know, camp and all that stuff. So I think he kind of thought maybe he could be a one and done Uh, by the end of camp. The season has not gone the way I think everybody was expecting. So maybe that has kind of shifted his opinion back to the two year plan. I don't know. He does have one more year of eligibility and he is one uh, to keep a very close eye on. I'd love to see him have you know, two years of, of stable play, kind of the, that adjustment of getting to Lexington and being playing in the SEC and things like that, uh, you know, kind of use this year as his, you know, kind of placeholder year and, and throw him in with, the, with the, the other freshmen that Kentucky's bringing in. I, I think that'd be huge. I do think C.J. Frederick will be back. Um, Chris Livingston, I think it's a big question. I, I'm, I'm still not 100% what the plan is for him, you know, how he's going to be used. Uh, to close out the season, what the minutes are gonna look like. So I, I think he's a big question mark. And and Damian Collins, I, look I, it's I impossible to I call mean, that situation. That that could go so many different ways. I you know, if you just had to to think on it and, and just guess, I'd say that he probably wouldn't wouldn't be back just, you know, just because of his circumstances are so different, would it shock me for him to go home and, you know, play for a, a Baylor or a Texas Tech or something like that, where he can be by his mom, by his little sisters and and that sort of thing. I, that wouldn't shock me in the slightest, but I don't think many people would blame him
1: either. If that were the situation, I think we'd all love to see Damien come back because he still has all those intangibles, but his situation is definitely uh, different than
0: most. Yeah. So I, 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 that's definitely wait and see mode. Um, Let's go through, are there any other, you know, I guess, before we move on to the recruiting stuff and why we're here and, and, uh, and all those things, um, how do you feel about just the trajectory of this team right now? Do you feel like this was a real step in the right direction uh, and that, you know, we could build on this and, and, you know, kind of stop taking steps back after having steps forward like we had against this? Or, or are you still in wait and see mode?
1: My whole thing coming into this game, and I talked about it on some other platforms and stuff was, I just wanted to see something different. I didn't want to see the same game plan roll out there that obviously just hadn't been working against good teams. And, you know, they were forced into making changes because of what happened with Savir. Uh, But because of that, we saw the changes made. So how they incorporate Savir, I think will be important or reincorporate again, Him will be very important to how, uh, you know, whether or not Cal decides to continue running with guys like Kate or uh, CJ and Antonio at the same time with Kacen. Cause clearly that is a lineup that just works. It's more modernized, like you've, you're you gonna have three shooters. It doesn't matter who you have at the four or five, because you're gonna have those three guys who can make shots. Um, so if things continue to trend in that direction, I certainly think that this can be, you know, the turning point, if you will, of this season. Uh, but I think if we see things kind of revert back to, you know, the stall ball with Xavier Wheeler in the final 10 minutes of games, you know, Kentucky didn't really do a lot of, uh, you know the deliberate half court, whatever it was, run the like, uh, mm-hmm. run the run the clock down. They kind of did, but it was like very, very late in that game. Yeah. Uh, when it when the you want Kentucky to do that, like they were up seven with maybe like two or three two minutes, three minutes left, and that's when Carolina, that is when you
0: grind it out. Man. That's
1: when you grind out yeah. a game, not when you like, I've said it multiple times. Not when you're down seven against South Carolina at home with ten minutes left. You don't try and grind out a game then. So yeah, and like like Michael Brady said here, Wheeler cannot play thirty minutes a game. I think or thirty five, like. I think that's, that should just be a fact right now. Like Wheeler cannot, he needs to play closer to 20, 25 minutes, I think is probably a sweet spot for him. Um, use more CJ, uh, more Antonio, ado in spaces as well. So I'm not uh, entirely ready to say that this, you know, the, the Kentucky's back, but I th- certainly think that there was a lot of different things that they did, like just small little changes uh, to the offense, not necessarily the defense, but, uh, because I think the defense was, you know, I think they were just more locked in. I think that was kind of what it came down to on that on that end. It wasn't any, like, you know, structural changes. They still put Oscar in pick and rolls. But, you know, it's a lot easier to defend a pick and roll for Oscar when the guy that he's defending is slower than he is. And I think that's a big part
0: of, you know, how he was able to not necessarily get played off the floor like he had been in some of the other games. And I think just in terms of team morale, like, because that was such a – Topic of conversation this week. I did want to address that. Uh, you know, just what this team is like. Do they like each other? Do they hate each other? Is there are they there clearly two, like each uh, other? Are there so. two guys on the on the floor that, are two guys on the team that are beefing right now? As some of the you, you know Twitter people were talking about and all that, uh, and you uh, know, trying to explain this in the way that you know needs to be put out on this platform. I don't think anybody on the team hates each other. I don't think that there's this just built up animosity toward one another where they, you know, just hate each other. But uh, it, it's different when, you know, I, it's it's okay to say that personalities maybe aren't, you know, Oscar preaching on a Sunday morning and Casey Wallace, you know, just kind of being his own guy and in his own world. Like he, you know, he's a different kind of, you know, kind of kid and, you know, Saviour Wheeler's a little bit different. Like these are just a lot of different personalities that, that doesn't always, you Even know, Jacobs the same, you yeah. know. Yeah, it just doesn't mean that they all like to go on, you know, thirteen people team dinners and like you know go all go to the movies together and go bowling. Like you know, sometimes they do that and they 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 are friendly, but that's where a lot of the kind of disconnect came from. Where it's like, okay, it just you know the the heart and and those sorts of things. I think that's where some of those questions came from because it just didn't look like they were very cohesive. I also think that. You know, like the, when Cal keeps talking about mental toughness and the and the mental health of this team and, and how that is all going. I do think that that's also been a, a very you know significant part of this. That uh, this is a very different team in that regard, and there's some you know mental health stuff, this stuff going on with this team, and and I think that's a very important thing to keep a, a close eye on when. You know, you say a, a case and Wallace is a quitter because he left the bench with eight minutes left, you know, left in the first quarter mm-hmm. after eight minutes playing, you know, against South Carolina. And you you're quick to say, you know, whoever, go, you know, go and, and personally attack a kid's character and things like that. I just don't think that's fair in the slightest because these kids are going through some stuff. And it has been a really, really trying year in that locker room uh, for a, a long list of different reasons. And I think that's something that we can all need to take a step back and realize and say, OK, they are. Something's not right. Clearly, as you can tell, that when when the body language is what it is, maybe there's a reason for it. Maybe you, th- we should be, you know, thinking that side of things. And, and I think some stuff has come to light that has explained a lot of that a lot better. And for them to have this moment, a 63 56 win in Knoxville, an upset rivalry win, when they have gone through what they have this year and it has been as disappointing and frustrating as, as it has been, I I think it's huge. I I think this was a huge, huge, huge win that they had to have. I mean, they they just, they had to start taking steps in the right direction just for team morale and, and mental health and getting, getting these guys back in the positive mentality that like, Hey, like, yeah, we can be this, like we can still be this team, you know, build that confidence back up. Like it's, it's a huge, huge thing for them to win in the manner that they did Uh, You know the grit and grind, tough physical battle. Like this wasn't just a hot shooting night where you kind of felt a little, you know, fluky. Like it wasn't anything like that. You just won a hard-fought win in Knoxville against the top five team in the country with the number one defense in America. Like that's a huge win. They needed this team, uh, no matter how the things look. You know, you're playing Georgia on Tuesday. I don't know how much you're going to learn from that one, Uh, but I do think that there's a lot of stuff to hang on to and hold on to and be excited about moving forward. And I think that's the the Biggest part of all of this, they needed this win for a lot deeper reasons than just just basketball. So uh, I am very very happy for them and proud of them for for fighting. You know, when you when you look at that video of of Chin Coleman crying on the bench, think why? You know, think think why why would there be that level of emotion? Not because the team has been struggling and you know they just needed a, a win like. Yeah that there's 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 stuff there's, 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 there's there. stuff to that there's a reason for that and it's really cool that they were able to do that and have that moment so when people yeah. have been mentioned here in this in the
1: comments talking about the the locker room celebration is like the 32nd video i saw i think like the actual behind the scenes video i saw for the first time maybe a few hours ago you know where all the guys are there like cheering on cal hugging him loving him like this it, all the guys in there they clearly care and like they all care together they all you know they they knew how badly they needed that win. Uh, like you said, it obviously helps with resume, uh, but they really just needed that win because they just the training the in the wrong direction is obviously just not going to help things. So winning cures all as,
0: as, as you know, we know the saying so. Yep. Just got to keep it rolling. Well, now for the reason why we are here uh, up in Springfield, Massachusetts, it's been a hell of a, an event, uh, Zach. I, I love this event; it's one of my favorite every year. Uh, four of the five Kentucky signees for the twenty twenty three class are up here: DJ Wagner, Aaron Bradshaw, the two headliners. Justin Edwards is playing tonight, actually. Uh, on here. ESPN, yeah, on ESPN. Make sure that you're watching against Ian yeah, yeah, and against that one, we'll definitely talk about Ian Jackson as well. Uh, Reed Shepard played earlier this morning, uh, Zach. What, what are your some of your takeaways? Uh, from what you've seen up here at Hoopal? Yeah, so we'll just start uh, with the game last night. We saw a really good
1: matchup between Camden and Centennial. Uh, Centennial's from California. Jared McCain is their, their headliner. He's the five-star committed to Duke. I think he's is he's the TikTok guy, right? He's got like a T- million TikTok Instagram guys. Yeah. yeah, a million followers on Instagram or something like that. Uh, but he's incredibly good. I think he had 27 points. Him and DJ were kind of going at it a little chirping, as I was talking about earlier. DJ loves to talk. Uh, and I love to watch DJ talk because he, he's a, one of those few guys that can really back it up. Uh, I believe DJ had 27 points, um, was uh, efficient from the field. I think he was like maybe one for five from three. Uh, but the kid just finishes at the rim better than, like I, I was telling Jack yesterday, There's he's going to be the best finisher at UK since Isaiah Briscoe like this kid I agree he just doesn't miss layups it's it's incredible he's not even that big and strong like one of my concerns was maybe he needs to to toughen up a bit to maybe power through these guys when he gets to the college level i'm not even sure he needs that because he's not even like getting contact he's just shifting around these guys and snaking or slithering whatever you know weird adjective you want to use he's just finds ways to get himself in a position and sometimes he's out of position when he's shooting the ball and he'll just flick it up there or you know roll it off the side of the ra- or the side of the backboard and it'll just find its way in so he was really impressive uh, you know dj is what he is we've seen him so many times he's just he's an incredible uh, scorer like he's just a really good shot maker he's got a great mid-range game um you know he's gonna have to improve that three-point shot a little bit uh, maybe show a little bit more effort on defense or consistent effort on defense i, I should, should say. Um, and then Aaron Bradshaw had a solid game. He was 15 points, eight rebounds, had a really big power uh, putback dunk that Jack uh, talked about on Twitter where Cal was trying to coach, but not really. Cause you had Cal Antigua, Chin Coleman and worldwide West were all there to watch that game. Family ties must've been like a, a three hour, four hour turnaround from Knoxville to Springfield. So I'm sure that was a very quick flight that they were trying to get there. But I believe that Camden ended up losing that game by four um Centennial just had more players uh, just more talent overall is kind of what it came down to uh it's, it came to really just kind of has DJ and Aaron and as good as those guys are you still need a little bit more uh, that was also our first look at Billy Richmond the third who's the new guy that just got a offer from Kentucky uh, he's a 2024 kid he was impressed me with just how big he was uh his, his stats weren't that great I think he you know had two points three boards, kind of did just things all over the uh, floor didn't really you know make a huge impact in one general area but He's definitely a nice prospect. Uh, Like I said, 6'6", he's built already. Really, really big kid. His dad played for Cal at Memphis, so there's connections there. That's the reason he got the offer. Uh, I think Cal probably sees some sort of a do the type path with him. Um, But DJ and Aaron impressed me, as they kind of always do. Um, And then uh, this morning we got to see Reed play. Uh, North Laurel had their first uh, game with a fully healthy roster since – Uh, I I talked with Reed's mom after she said it was the first healthy game uh, with every player since December 8th, which is over a month ago. So if you look at, you know, some of North Laurel stats and notice how they're nine and eight on the year, that would be why they've also played six out of state games, uh, mostly against, you know, nationally ranked competition. They played Mount St. Joseph's today, which was led by uh, Illinois commit. He's a four-star Amani Hansberry. Um, And their team overall just had more guys than North Laurel. Uh, But Reed struggled, admittedly, to shoot the ball. I think he ended up five for twenty-one, three for fourteen from three. But he still damn near had a triple-double. He had thirteen rebounds, nine assists. He had a couple of really timely, uh, clutch threes that kept his team from, uh, you know, getting blown out. And that's something you notice with North Laurel, is Reed finds ways for them to not get blown out, even when it looks like they might. Like they were down, you know, pretty much ten the whole game until kind of the very end when Reed Reed just kind of, you know, slowly but surely chips away. Um, but then you've got guys like ryan davison and gavin chadwell we're really going deep into the into the kentucky uh talk here or bluegrass state talk if you want uh but those two guys you know having them back was huge so they're gonna that team will ultimately be fine as they get their chemistry back they have no more out of state games uh so it's just all straight you you know there's a lot of south laurel games you know stuff like that where they're gonna get back on track and that'll be a team that's gonna contend for a title but uh, Reed played in front of uh, Cal Antigua, and Chin again. Um, you know he was uh, talking about how he he loves uh, those guys all coming out and to watching them. And uh, with Jack, made sure to ask all those uh, Reed, DJ, and Aaron kind of about their thoughts over the Tennessee win. Got some really great uh, great quotes from them. Uh, so so far so good. I, I like you said this is one of my favorite events too. Uh, it's just really well run, uh, very well organized, and. Um, yeah, we get to see Justin Edwards tonight. He plays Ian Jackson, so that'll be a massive uh, matchup. That's a nine o'clock start. I wouldn't be shocked if it goes a little bit uh, later, maybe around nine thirty, just with how many games they have throughout the day. But on ESPN. So, so far, the, I think it's I mean, on ESPN two. It's on ESPN. I think. Is it? Yeah. Well, it just said ESPN on the thing, so it could be ESPN two. I'm not sure. But it's check, on. Check on, your channel guy. Just one so of the family that. of yeah. networks by, from the world worldwide leader, but. The Kentucky commits, you know, outside of Reed, Reed shooting five for twenty-one. Uh, you know, he even did, sti- he
0: did tweak his ankle at the end of the first half. By the way, um, oh. his, his uh, scoop. His, well, yeah, his his parents said, and, and UK also said that as well. So they, yeah, they, they may keep that. in But mind even
1: still, even when he shot five for twenty-one, North Laurel was better than that team. Yeah. Uh, and it, kind of, you know, I said earlier that Mount St. Joseph had more talent. They did. North Laurel still outplayed him. They just shot six for 26 from three. Uh, and that's a team that typically shoots, you know, about 40% from three. So they make two. A t- they t-
0: they unbelievable
1: shoot- volume. Coach Nate Valentine there, he loves to get up shots. They, you shoot a lot of threes with that team, and they've got a lot of really good shooters. So that's part of the chemistry thing, too. That team will ultimately be fine, like I said. Um, but even in a five-for-21 game, Reed still does things all over the floor. I believe he had three uh, steals and two blocks as well. Uh, hit some timely free throws. So it's just – all over the court with him and then like i said we got justin Edwards tonight so we're looking
0: forward to that one yeah um espn2 university six says they they check the channel guide so at 9 p.m yeah N- 9 supposed PM. to be nine
1: but like i said it might they've it'll be the the eighth game of the day and they've got them in an hour and a half increments so if there's one overtime game
0: it's going to screw everything up yeah um well, I guess the uh, news of the hour and why why everybody came here and and what what all the focus is on is Ian Jackson and his commitment coming on Monday. Uh, we put out before this weekend even started that uh, that was the the plan. So originally he was planning on committing on on January 31st. He decides to push it up uh, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. Um, he Wanted to get this decision over with. He just took three official, two official visits back to back to UNC and Arkansas. uh, Visited Kentucky for Big Blue Madness, but those are the three schools he's also considering: Oregon and LSU. But they're not threats. It's Arkansas, uh, Arkansas, UNC, and Kentucky as the main finalists that he's considering. Um, And it's a very, very interesting recruitment, I I must say. Um, This is one that he is. Uh, very purposely keeping things cl- things close to vest. Uh, I have talked to people close to all three of the programs that think that they are, are in it and are very invested, and in, uh, they're all saying different things, and it's very fascinating. Uh, you know, just kind of seeing from both sides of, of of the aisle, talking to people kind of close to Ian, and you know that know his recruitment, but also talking to some of the coaches and you know, that are familiar with it. And um, I, I don't think anybody knows, and I don't think that he's made a final decision. Uh, you know, he commits at halftime at 3 p.m. to the 3 p.m. game tomorrow uh, on Monday. And, and I don't even still think he has finalized his plans. I know that uh, he was planning on calling the staffs of who he it was considering tonight. Um, but leading up to the game, they were driving up. Uh, they, they left at noon uh, to, from New York to get here uh, in Springfield. So a long drive, Zach, to think about what you want. And I think that he kind of did that on purpose. I think as of like right now, he's in the decision-making process. He plays at nine and I think he is all in on this. And tonight afterward, I think late tonight is going to be when he sits down and goes, all right, I need to figure this out. Why, why this school? Why that school? Pros and cons. And I think that's when he's going to finalize something. Uh, so no, I don't think a final decision has been made. Um, I will say uh, there is a lot of, positive talk about Kentucky. Um, I, I, I was, there are some reasons why I have been concerned about Arkansas. Um, but I think some people have, have kind of jumped in and said that Arkansas isn't feeling confident in their chances. And that would be more so if, if he decides to open things up later down the road or whatever, that that would be the time for us to jump back in and, and really kind of Forth the full court effort. I don't think they are going to be done recruiting him no matter what. Um, but I do think that Kentucky's in a very good spot, and I would put probably in the the chances of it right now Kentucky at one, UNC at two, and Arkansas at
1: three. If you're logging a pick in the the on three RPM, what would you say, Jack? I would say
0: Kentucky. 60%, 60% confidence. Yeah. Uh, I I do think that Kentucky is where he's always wanted to be his entire childhood. Kentucky was his dream school. They have done a really, really good job recruiting him, um, prioritizing him, making it very clear that he is their number one option in the class. Um, I I think Kentucky wants him committed sooner rather than later, I think to make a statement. Um, We're back. Why would they want to push a commitment for a 24 kid? right around the time that all this buzz about Texas and Cal leaving and all this stuff i don't think anything cal does is is a mistake um so i i think that you should keep a very close eye on it it's not done i'm not saying that kentucky is you know a kentucky's not even overly confident like about its chances i think they're understanding that they have a fight and that they're still fighting up until the final buzzer and um this these next 24 hours it, it has been 24 and we are in the midst of the 24 hours, but this next day leading up to the game, I think leading up to the commitment, I think it's going to be all hell breaking loose and, and seeing each of these coaching staffs best shots. So it's gonna be very interesting. I think tonight's going to be a big one. He plays against Justin Edwards, Uh, coach Orlando Antigua will be here for, uh, for Kentucky coach Cal and Chan had to fly back to Lexington to get back to practice. With KT Turner, they're all back in Lexington now. But uh, O is here, and he is watching very closely. And we'll see. I think nine o'clock is going to be a big game. I know Kentucky fans are very much excited for it. Zach, um, what what do you like about Ian, and what would his commitment mean for this program? Well, what it would
1: mean is it's going to kick the ball rolling for that twenty four class, and I'm sure there's probably other kids in the twenty four class that are maybe waiting on a guy like Ian Jackson to make his call before they can, you know, really. Figure out if they, you know, if they want to play with a guy like him or or what have you. And uh, it looks someone I know tossed in here the reclass buzz around him. I feel like that's still a no go.
0: Yeah, uh, I don't think he will. I, I, his grades are good, but I don't think he has the credits to reclassify at this stage. If that makes sense, so I, yeah. I do not think that he will reclass and can. can if it's Kentucky, he certainly won't reclass because you know unless something happens with rob or you know whatever like again we've talked about that it's a great insurance policy to have to you know if you kind of get in a desperation situation and you need Ian to reclass and say look we need you here immediately figure out the grades grad you know take summer classes you know winter classes all that stuff Um, you know maybe that would be the case but uh, as of right now he is not he is not moving forward academically as if he's reclassifying and I think that's very important uh, side of things. So I didn't want to cut you off with, with no, that, but no, you're good.
1: Uh, it, you know, in terms of talent wise, I think you're, if you want to kind of compare him to maybe a former Kentucky guy, you could look at maybe Shay with just had the, the height and the length of playing in, as the guard position, um, really decisive movements, you know, not necessarily the fastest guy out there, but uh, going to find ways to beat you off the dribble regardless. Um, he's just a very talented scorer from pretty much all areas of the floor uh, he's a he's a game-changing type guy who can come out there and just drop 15, 20 points in a college game whenever he wants. Um, he's built right now to play in college. That's why the reclass talk is so big because he's one of the few guys in that class that you could throw into the 23 group, and he'd still you know find his way to you know battle against all those college kids and whatnot. So I'm a big fan of Ian Jackson. I think we all are. Uh, I would probably still have him above Trey Johnson if we're you know, picking between those two. Flory would be number one. Uh, in Zach's opinion, but Ian Jackson is definitely a stud. And if they can get him, you know, like you said, some of these things, they're not just by accident, you know, with all the Texas buzz with Cal and then picking up this massive win, something to put the cherry on top for this whole week would be to get a, the best player in the 24 class and start building it from there. Um, so it would definitely be a mass. It would just continue this momentum for Kentucky, which
0: they surely need right now. So if that's the choice, I think, uh, Everyone's going to be a winner in that group, and it's it's just a really important decision because the twenty four class is so bad, as Daryl Williams says. Twenty four class isn't that good, respectfully. It's not. It's terrible. It's it's the worst class that I've seen in the last decade. Um, I am not high on the twenty three class overall. I think everybody, if you take the twenty three class and and put it any other year, I think you start at ten and go down. I think you know even DJ would be number ten or number nine or number eight or something you know in that kind of range. In 18 or 19 or what, you know, some, of some of the, the very good classes uh, in recent, recent memory. I think he is, you know, I think, you know, Aaron Bradshaw, I think D- Dillingham, I think those are all in this kind of the same mold where they're very good players and any other year you'd be like, Oh, that's a really solid addition to add. Uh, you know, I think DJ, in my opinion, is the best of the bunch. And I think he's going to be a very, he has a very high floor, but definitely not like this John wall pro ceiling where he's going to be the number one pick. And there's not a John wall or Anthony Davis or Zion Williamson or anything like that in this class. And I think that's, there's there's no no generational talent, all just very good players with solid floors and, you know, like medium ceilings, maybe, you know, I don't even think there's a guy out there that has this, you know, out otherworldly ceiling either. So I, I think that class is what it is, and twenty four is even worse. So
1: 25- twenty five is good, though. We got to watch Cooper Flag and Cameron Boozer yesterday. Those kids would be the best. They're they're the two best high school players in the country. They yeah. have to be. It
0: was, I, for my money, I think Cooper Flag is the best player in the world right now. i uh, I'll not name Victor Wimba. Wim, Wim, better than so, LeBron. Better than Luca. You heard it here fir- first from Jack Pilgrim. From at the high school level, Cooper, 100. He's he's good. Yeah, as hell. He's, very good. He's, he's very good. But so I I mean that to say, Ian is such a crucial get for 24 because every other player in the class like it's just such a significant drop off after, you know, the, the core group up top uh, Kentucky is very, very high on boogie flan. He didn't have a great game today. Uh, his team lost, but they're very high on him. Love what he brings to the table. He compares his game to John Morant. Um, and that's, it's the, the who he wants can to he, be. Can uh, he dunk from, from back here? That's all I want to know. No, he he cannot. Um, but, but they get some Todd Pettiford scoop. He, and that's a, another tough one because I think, Tahad is also very solid, and I think that he would fit in very well. He's a six foot De'Aaron six Fox, flat six S- flat. He, De'Aaron Fox is six five and had the length and all that stuff. He's a six foot De'Aaron Fox, which De'Aaron already couldn't shoot, and you know has those flaws, and, and it definitely doesn't you know help if you're five inches shorter that you know don't have the length and the, you know that that sort of thing for him. So uh, you can't strike out with guys like Ian Jackson with the rest of the class is as bad as it is. So, uh, it's, it's a very crucial get in that regard. I think if you can lock him up, I think the next step is figuring out, you know, is it either Trey Johnson or, um, or I, I think Boogie Flint, I think it's going to be one of those two guys. Um, you know, and if I, I think if they strike out, if they somehow miss on Ian tomorrow, I think that, you know, I think that's when Tahaid Pettiford would step in as, as one of their top options. And you, I think there's a lot of moving pieces that if, if, you know, kind of domino effect, if whatever happens with Ian will, Change what they do elsewhere. Trey Johnson is considering the pro route. He was considering Texas, and that ain't happening anymore. Oopsie. Um, So it depends on what happens with him. If he decides to go pro, then Kentucky needs to move to its next option, which would be Boogie Fland and you know Tahad Pettiford, and you know maybe like not Ace Bailey. Yeah, Ace Bailey randomly commits to Ruggers And uh, (laughs) good uh, luck, buddy. Enjoy the nil money, I guess. Don't know about that one. Let's go through some of these questions. What's going on with Trey Johnson? Yeah, I talked about that. I think pro is probably the favorite for him right now, but I think Kentucky's in a good spot, honestly. Uh, I think that they are – Texas ties. I think that they got a little uncomfortable, admittedly, with – Kentucky kind of pushing for a commitment with him um I, I think I, I I've heard that recently that they were really wanting kind of with the, ice, the the Ian Jackson thing that we're having right now I think that they were really pushing for a commitment wanting to kind of get this 24 class rolling with with a big major thing I don't think Trey Johnson is is ready to commit yet I think it is just very early with him and you know it's not like it's you know hurt feelings one way or the other it's just one of those like hey, I know you guys are wanting him to commit right now. We're not ready for that. Let's just kind of take a step back. And, you know, so I think that's definitely something that's going on right now. Um, and I think Kentucky's still in a very solid spot if, uh, among colleges. It's, but I think Texas was the leader. I definitely think that has changed. You know, Baylor's still in the, in the mix, and he would like to stay home. Uh, but there are a lot of deep ties with Kentucky. He's, he's very close with Tyrese Maxey uh, from the Garland area down there. So uh, definitely – Another guy to keep a close eye on, but watch out for the pros with him as well. Um, somebody else, Ethan G, asked about well, what about some someone like Dink Pate? Um, I don't see that happening. I don't think there's not good enough I don't right think, now. I don't think there's going to be a need for him. Um, I just think that they're going to hit on their top targets, and I think uh, they're in a solid spot with Boogie Flan. I think there's still a lot of work to do uh, to land him, but I do think that he likes Kentucky quite a bit. Um, I think they're they're just kind of go you know, it's 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 tiered right now. They know who their top options are. They want Ian Jackson, Trey Johnson, Flory Badunga, um, and you know, Boogie Flan is kind of that right in that that tier, probably the, the top tier for them. And the next tier would be, you know, guys like Dink, guys like Billy Richmond, uh, you know, Billy Richmond. Oh, he's a cap. He's definitely that's that's going to happen. He's a do just in terms of doing the same thing. Just the connection. He's going to love the Camden. He he is going to end up at Kentucky, but for sure um, in terms of talent, it's definitely in the tier below, but he will absolutely um, be making that happen. Uh, Adam Hicks, does UK add a power forward from the portal in 23? I do. I mean, I, I think by numbers, I think that they are kind of, they were loosely expecting, um, more departures, you know, Jacob Toppin, they were expecting to leave and guys like that, but it just depends on how things unfold to close out the year. Uh, But I would not be shocked if they, if they did. Um, I think they're going to be interested to see what they do with Aaron Bradshaw. Um, You know, I think there's some talk that they want to maybe utilize him at the four and, you know, kind of have a face up game. I don't know if it's the smartest decision, but when you have a guy like Ugo coming back, very likely, you know, you got to figure out ways to put him on the floor together. And at least he has the, you know, the, the, Face-up game for that. Uh, John Pierre, and what is going on with Flori? Flory, Flory hey, has the Peter, most. Com- yes, he, good he, as he, he has the most complicated recruitment in, in basketball. Um, Kentucky thinks it still has a shot, um, a, a pretty solid shot, actually. Um, Indiana's kind of right in there. Um, the, it's it's a very deep deep situation. Um, I don't think it's going to take a lot. There's going to be five or six more twists and turns in that recruitment before he makes a commitment. And I do think one of those turns will end up having Kentucky as a contender. Uh, it's definitely a, not a, a 0% chance. I think they're still very, very much in the thick of things. So um, so yeah, I, I would keep an eye on him, but a, a distant eye, I think is probably a good place uh, to put it. BBN recruits only, Carter Knox, and then University Six says, what about Carter Knox as well? Um, I think he's in the next tier down as well with, you know, I think he's above Dink Pate, but kind of in that Todd Pettiford.
1: Isaiah Elohim. Yeah,
0: Isaiah Elohim mold where I think they like him, don't love him. Want to see where things go. It's just they want to get their main guys and kind of go from there. Um, So I I wouldn't bet on him, but it's definitely one that they're still monitoring. Uh, Ben from Kentucky, good question. Would Oscar come back? Um, UK isn't like ruling that out, um, but I don't think it's a good thing. I, I think it, like it's tough because Oscar is who he is and he is a larger than life figure and he has helped this program in so many different ways. But I also think in a way his playing style is, has in, in a way hurt Kentucky and how they've had to caps their you know, it, seal. It had, they've had to go go through play through him because he did decide to come back. So I think when you don't have to play through him and you kind of play a, a bit more free brand of basketball, Aaron Bradshaw would be, will be used completely different than how Oscar is being used. And even Ugo, I think is going to be used completely different. So um, I just don't, I, I don't see him coming back. I definitely don't. Um, uh, University yeah, says
1: Connor Riggs says he wouldn't fit well with the incoming class. And I think that's a big part of it is first of all, five freshmen will be tough for a guy like Oscar, I think just to deal with and handle and, uh, especially because all those guys have really different personalities. So you want to talk about, you know, locker room stuff. I think that's just something right there that, you know, and then even skill or uh, fit wise, you know, all those, all those guys that UK is bringing in Rob and DJ, they want to run and gun. You know, they want to get into the paint. They want to get up shots as quick as they can. And that's going to be really tough for a guy like Oscar in there. Who's, you know, you, you have to kind of work your offense around him a little bit because he's so good when he gets his hands on the ball, you know, five feet away. Well, UK actually went like seven for 21 on layups or whatever it was against mm-hmm. Tennessee, but you know, you, you get the gist of what I'm saying.
0: Um, university of six, Nas Cunningham is a pro route guy, right? Yeah. Uh, definitely not going to be Kentucky. Um, uh, yeah, I think they He's kind of sunk ever since he was number one. They, they monitor, they, they closely monitor him for a while, um, but I think that's one that's gonna that's just definitely not gonna uh, happen. I don't see that unfolding at all. Another name to keep an eye on for 24 is Darren Peterson. Yeah, um, for a, a reclass guy for 25, um, he has the New Jersey connection with the Scholars and um, the loan uh, offer of 25 currently because it's 25. He's he is he's going to end up in 24, and I do think that Kentucky will have a very very realistic shot, and I think that they're probably the favorite right now uh, and I know Kentucky will take him when he can if he wants to play now they would take him because they are in love with it with his game he's one of the best players in uh, all of high school basketball right now you know 25 is a very very good class you know 23 is meh 24 is bad and 25 is elite so having guys like Darren Peterson reclass up to 24 will make will beef up that class quite a bit but definitely keep an eye on him in 24 and what Kentucky's chances. And just kind of, when, you, you, when you're when you thinking big picture about the 24 class, make sure that you kind of loosely in the back of, my, back of your mind, remember that Darren Peterson will be reclassing uh, and joining that one. And I do think Kentucky has a very uh, solid shot with that one. So uh, keep an eye on that. Connor was asking here about COVID years, uh,
1: COVID years. The only people that don't have the extra COVID year right now are true freshmen and true sophomores. Those are the only people that don't have the extra year right now so,
0: so i think damon every-
1: collins uh Kaysen and chris and adu would be the only four i believe unless i'm forgetting a sophomore would be yep. the only four and ugana none of those guys uh have the extra year but you know in the case of a few of those guys it doesn't really matter yeah. uh, Adu could so he's only got four years but everyone else like jacob cj Case or, uh, you know, Oscar, all those guys can all have another year, um, even if
0: they are, you know, fifth and sixth year guys. Um, Ben from Kentucky. Do you think Dillingham can fill it up at UK like Monk or Murray? He'll certainly try. He will try. He will most certainly try out. Yeah, I I think he's going to be really fascinating. (laughs) That's the best way to put it. Uh, I mean it could go really well. It could also go very poorly, and I would not be shocked at either of those scenarios unfolding. He he is who he is. His game is what it is, and um, we'll see how that unfolds. I, I do th- I think he's developing very well at overtime, and I do think UK is happy with how his development is going, and that's a good thing. He needs to you know add on some weight and you know figure out who he is as a basketball player. Um, I, I will Cal allow him to dance and do kind of the. Uh, Highlight reel level things that he that has made him the so Jordan popular. Jordan Clarkson, Jordan Poole type. No, no, I, I don't. He has never really done that. Malik Monk was kind of the last guy to have a green light where you could kind of just let you know live with some of those decisions that he made. And like I said, there will be nights
1: where there will be a night where Rob Dillingham drops thirty and just can't miss. And you know, no one should be shocked when he follows it up the next game with a two for twelve type performance. Like that's just kind of what he is. He's just he's a shooter. Like he loves to get up shots and he's going to take tough shots like Jamal Murray did. Um, but Murray was a special shot maker, and Dillingham's probably not at that caliber level right now, at least. You know, he can obviously still improve. So, it, yeah, the Dillingham experiment will definitely
0: be an experiment. Um, uh, OTW Music says uh, Peterson and Jackson won't be in the same class at Kentucky. I fully expect Jackson to reclassify. I mean, he's not if he's going to Kentucky. So, uh, a barring, uh, a, again, a barring a roster shakeup that would need him to reclass, I don't think that's how uh, it's it's going to unfold. I think that's a good question there from Cody um, Tony Hall. Cody Hall, who's point guard next year, Dillingham or Wagner? Um, I Sabir actually, also has an extra year, if we no, want to talk about that. Uh,
1: but, see, uh, Sabir's not going to play with those two. Like, you can he, kind of count that will up. not be back. Um, I'm not sure. I would say DJ does.
0: I think it's going to be Rob. Ooh. A battle. I think Rob will be Sources say battle. Because
1: neither of DJ, them are great passers.
0: DJ is better off ball. And it's so interesting. I mean, it, it just depends. It just depends on how they're being used, but Rob almost has to be on ball to be successful. He that's just kind of who he is. That's his his identity as a basketball player. And I, I think they're gonna share those duties, but I definitely lean point guard for Rob to initiate and let, you know, DJ kind of be the off ball creator, um, you know, catch and shoot, but also kind of take you off the dribble type. I think they're going to, I do think that they're going to share a lot of, of on ball duty. So I don't think it's kind of a moot point. It really doesn't make a difference versus touches, but I I think it's closer than you think. I I don't think it's it's just a lock that DJ is going to be the main primary ball handler and everybody else watch out. But I, I do think that Dillingham, might be that, and it's interesting dynamic to say uh, Rob Dillingham, the most erratic, entertaining player in high school basketball, is going to be PG one for Kentucky. Exactly.
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'll be in a believe it when I see it type thing, just because of you know I think Dillingham's probably a better passer than DJ. Um, he's he's also a more dangerous passer, risky passer. Passer likes to go for the big play, highlight type play passes, which can get him in trouble a lot. DJ, you know, it's DJ is just going to take it to the rim instead of making the pass. So it'll, it'll, I think, it, like I said, it'll, it'll probably be a game by game thing. You know, what, what's just going to work better for Kentucky? Uh, if Rob Dillingham is having an off night and, you know, he's making Cal want to pull his hair out, you're going to see DJ playing the one, I think. And that's, uh, there will be a lot of times where it's just, you won't even know who's the point guard. Just both of those guys are just going to share the duties. So split. It'll be kind of like a Tyrese Maxi, Emmanuel Quickly type deal where, you know, Quickly was more of the two. If you want to kind of, or in Ashton Higgins as well, where those two guys, or those three guys all really split the one. uh, Even if you had quickly kind of being the third guy, he still
0: did a lot of point guard duty. So I think you'll just see a lot of stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, John P. Ryan, Eulis will be huge for Wagner and Dilly. I completely agree. I think if there is somebody to reel in Dillingham and say, look, I know what it takes to be an elite point guard under John Calipari don't do what you are doing and and you know the mindset that you bring like there, there's a lot of value to have a dude that like has the un like, the biggest green light you could imagine in his own head like where he's like I don't take bad shots like everything I take is is you know that that Antoine Walker mindset well why do you take so many threes because there ain't no fours like that's that's the mindset that Rob Dillingham has and there's a lot of value in that but there you know it also comes with at, at a cost at a time and, and so if there's ever been a guy that could potentially reel him in and, you know, kind of maybe maximize his potential. I do think it might be a guy like Tyler Eulis. So a uh, great comment there from John P Ryan. We're going to start wrapping this thing up. Connor Riggs said uh, Dilly, CJ, DJ Edwards, uh, Bradshaw is his starting five, obviously flip DJ and CJ. I think CJ would be the, the three in that regard, but I'd, I like, I like, really do like the idea of, um, of Justin Edwards being a small ball four here at Kentucky uh, I think he, he really is polished working out of that high post, you know, kind of the stuff that we want Jacob Toppin to be right now. I definitely think that's that's something that he thrives in quite a bit. So uh, keep that in mind. Um, ben from Kentucky. Um, I could see Dillingham score 40 in one game, and the next he goes two for 20. Yahtzee. That will happen. Um, University Six, Uless sitting on the bench while Kaysen Wallace was out uh, bleeding on the court. That brought back a memory. Sure did. I love, love, just that connection right there, um, John Braxton Jr. What about Reed? Yeah, I, I don't think he's starting next year for he's, for Kentucky, but I think, I think he's going to play. Turn he will. I, I mean, I, I do think he's going to play, and I've said this before. I just think the style of the brand of basketball that he plays is just very safe and uh, you know very team first, and I think that's been frustrating for me seeing him on the three SSB circuit and some of these All Star events and things like that. You you want to see more out of him. You want him to be the MFR effort that he is, and kind of the dog that that he does have in him. We saw it today. Um, and we did see he got, it, I mean, he, went five, for he went five for twenty-one and three for fourteen from three. That boy was getting his shots up, and he, I mean, he was taking runners with one, you know, he off shot one, one foot from three. <laughs> like, I mean, he, he takes some some shots. I just want him. I want him to kind of have that dog with him, but he he fits into systems really well. But at the same time, I want him to be his own system. Like, I want people to. Work around him as well instead of him fitting to everybody else. So, uh, and Reed, that, Reed does, sorry to
1: cut you off, but Reed doesn't have to have the ball as well. Like, he's not like a DJ, uh, in um, God, what's his name? Rob, the other guy. He's not like them where you have to have, you know, he has to be on the ball the whole time because Reed's does a lot of the other things really, really well. He's a great, uh, team defender, uh, pretty good on ball as well. Like, yeah, he's not a guy that I, I honestly see coming in and playing a lot of minutes as a freshman, uh, just because from watching him for over the last couple of years, his personality just kind of, he's more of a, I'm going to work my way or wait my way into until he finds a moment where he wants to strike type deal. Um, So I think he's a slow bird. He's yeah. That's a good way to put it. He's going to be a little bit hesitant and that's not going to be a lack of confidence. That's just kind of how he plays. He just likes to feel things out and it'll probably take him a little bit longer than the other guys to just get his flow going. Uh, so I think that's why you might see a year two Reed is a lot better and maybe a lot more productive and gets more minutes. But uh, I, I'm not expecting honestly too much from Reed in his first year, um, just because I don't I don't think he's going to
0: get comfortable in his role until the next season. Uh, John P Ryan is AAU a better indicator for Reed playing with more talent there? It, it's not even about playing with more talent. It's just his it's mindset. It, it's it's his approach to these games. Uh, Where yeah, I I do think it's a better indicator of what he's going to be initially. Um, I I do think he's going to fit into the system really well. I think he's going to make the right reads and he's going to pass. uh, You know, be a lot a very pass first mindset style of play. Like that's that's who he's going to be for sure. Um, He's got to run off screens too. He can do that. He's going to be a catch and shoot guy. Pass first. Team team first facilitator. He he is not going to be a dog. Go get my own shot and and. You know, camp kind of camp style of play mindset. That's not who he's gonna. He's not gonna be this ISO guy though he is in North Laurel quite a bit. So, uh, in, in, interested, to see, interested to see how it unfolds. Uh, but I do think that he will play uh, very, very same reads. Right. I heard you say that. Yeah. Um, Any? I've uh, been from Kentucky. I saw that Reed versus Travis Perry game and it blew my mind. How we have two dudes in the same same state that can actually play. Yeah, I'm interested to see what happens with Travis Perry. I don't see him ending up at Kentucky unless. Uh, you know, they, Once he grows so, five inches. Yeah. You know, they offered and they do like him a lot, but I just think the fit is going to be better at a Purdue or, you know, even like a, the pace. I think he'd look really good at Ole Miss. I, I do think he'd fit in well with that pace. Um, all right. Yeah. Let's wrap up with this one. Mark Carver, uh, back to this team, Tuesday night, Georgia predictions. I love the way we end, the, end this one. Um, it's going to be a late one, 9 p.m. It's our first 9 p.m. Uh, SEC game of the year, and I late. hate, hate them. Um, but, yeah, Zach, I'm interested to see your, your thoughts on that one. What do you think happens on Tuesday night? Uh, well, we know that Georgia
1: isn't exactly, you know, one of the upper echelon teams in the SEC this year. They stole Florida's coach, and they're still kind of figuring out their identity, it seems like, at this stage. Um, this is going to be a big test, a tell of if Kentucky has actually, you know, figured things out or not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because coming off a win like against Tennessee, Kentucky should absolutely beat the brakes off Georgia at home. Even if it's a late game, you know, with all how the momentum's going, they should win this game by fifteen points. Uh, but you know, we've been saying that about you know they were supposed to beat South Carolina by twenty and lost, ended up losing that game. So should have to should have been thirty. Yeah. So it's that it's going to be more about Kentucky and less about Georgia. Um, you know, does Kentucky come out and do they? Does Cal kind of run with the same stuff that he did before? as Savir went out or you know if and if Savir does come back how does he reincorporate him and just kind of how do they it, it, that's a game that you could almost kind of toy with those things a little bit more and maybe that might make the score a little bit closer uh, than you think but I I would still predict uh, normally I'm not predicting big on predicting Kentucky to win by 10 or more this season this season because I got burned on it after like the fifth game so I've kind of been predicting if not a loss most of the time just closer games but I would say Kentucky wins this game by ten, and if they don't, then that's probably
0: the bigger story of this whole week than as opposed to beating not Tennessee. If they can win by thirteen, I think it would really be a, a you know kind of where you can start thinking, okay, maybe they have turned a corner. Maybe you can start thinking in that way, uh, where it's not like okay, was well, Tennessee just a one off? Like this is. The, 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 a game like this is one that you're supposed to win by 13 in the SEC. Like that's, that's Probably what the, the line will be. That's what you're, it's supposed to be. So, uh, I'm, I'm rooting for like a 70, 70 to 60 win, something like that. Like, 72 to 60 or yeah, 70 to 70, 60? 72 to 60. is kind of my, my prediction. I think that's, that's what's going to happen and much needed. Very, very much looking forward to that. Um, Well, do you want to like score prediction or I'll throw a score out there? I'll probably, I don't know. I
1: don't know if I want to go low on the score because I think Kentucky wins, but I don't, they might score 65 points kind of like what they did against Tennessee. And it'll just be kind of a similar type thing where just Georgia's not very good. And Tennessee obviously didn't have a very good game regardless of how well Kentucky played on defense. Like Tennessee just missed a bunch of shots and they missed it. I mean, Sakai Ziegler, the guy, I don't know if he had the yips or something, but he was just missing layups like, he heard Jacob Toppin 10 feet
0: behind him, and that was enough for him to miss that. That was episode. unbelievable. I mean, he was, like, looking, like, yeah. waiting for him to pin his shot, and it's like, please, for the love of God, don't block me. It almost just it almost felt game. like Tennessee came into that game
1: with more pressure on them than Kentucky did. Kentucky played more freely and more loosely, and Tennessee definitely kind of uh, crunched up a little bit on themselves. So, I think Georgia will come in feeling like they have nothing to lose type deal, so – Uh, It wouldn't shock me if Georgia kind of got off to a hot start too. And then Kentucky has to fend them off kind of down the stretch there. And it still ends up being a 10 point win and maybe closer than we uh, would hope for, but
0: I'll say 65 to 53. Love it. Let's uh, go on and get out of here because I need to go see Ian Jackson and Justin Edwards play. Uh, I um, yeah, let's get out of here. Where can fans find your work? They can find me as
1: always at a beautiful website called Kentucky sports radio. Where uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Z Gagan KSR, Gagan is spelled G E O G H E G A N, as you can see right there. there. Gagan, there, yep. Zach Gagan, yeah, Zach with a K, yeah. So, yeah. so, a lot of people are really good at spelling Gagan, but Zach is the one that
0: trips them up sometimes. So, hmm. interesting. You find my work uh, on Twitter at, uh, at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Reach out to me via email jpilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. Appreciate all of our comments. I mean, goodness gracious, we had hundreds of them. Yeah. Uh, and here's a nice little conversation with the fans. We went on longer than I think we ever have while doing these live ones. So uh, appreciate everybody's tuning in and listening to our nonsense for uh, a little while. We will have a post Ian Jackson commitment um, episode ready to go. I'm trying to decide if we want to go live for that or have it pre-recorded. Um, not not 100% sure about that one. But um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll definitely have one, one way or the other. Very much looking forward to that. Um, Let's get out of here. We'll see you guys tomorrow.